Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loops episode 96. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias por su sintonía y bienvenidos, bitches. Uh, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cisgender white dudes. That is true. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims, let's not forget them, that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Jakira Barnes, a teenage girl and gang member who lived in Chicago. She claimed to have killed 17 people by the time she was 17 years old. Oh me, oh my. But before yeah. we get into the case... How you doing? I'm exhausted. It's oh been my. a rough week so far, and it's only Tuesday. So, <laughs> yep, yep, that is true. That's a fact. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, we'll get through this. We'll get through this, everybody. <laughs> um, well, I am um, not exhausted, but more anxious. I made the mistake yeah. before we hit record to tune in live to the presidential oh, debate boy. in the United States on Twitter. Yeah. I told myself <laughs> I was not going to do it. I was just going to watch Stop the gifts on yeah. Instagram. And I I just clicked the picture just and did it. on it went. And I like my... My heart is still racing. I, I, I've been trying to like uh, be a sober person and quit drinking, but I'm like, get me a drink. I am so anxious. Anyway, uh, yeah. enough about me. Uh, so now we're going to get into some uh, listener letters. All right. Oh, hello, angels. You were waiting for us. Thank you. <sighs> <laughs> that sound helps relax me yeah um, we, maybe we should invite some more angels <laughs> you mean hit the button again yeah <laughs> oh thank you angels <laughs> yes <sighs> yes that feels good yeah just um, a little anxiety just uh yeah. rolled off of my shoulders yeah i'm yeah. not gonna meditate anymore i'm just gonna <laughs> just listen to angels over and over again yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, now we are going to, uh, yeah, read those listener letters. What's the bag, man? Uh, we got an email from our patron, Werner, who said, Finding your podcast has been a revelation. You are both so knowledgeable, compassionate, and entertaining. And I'm happy to be a part of the pod squad. Oh! Yeah, that's so nice. And we're happy that you're a part of the pod squad. Thank you, Werner. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, boo. What yeah. else we got? We got a message from Geneva on Podbean who said, just read comments of some people who think the podcast is a negative spin on both people of color and white folks. Let's be clear if mainstream media delivered news effectively without biases and gave crimes committed against all people equal coverage, there would be no need for specialized media like Fruit Loops. Mm. All life is precious. Sadly, that's not the message we get from most popular media. We need just facts, but get cover-ups, downplays, and the biases spins on current events. Wow. Thank yeah. you so much, Geneva. Yeah, thanks, Geneva. Ooh, that is lovely. We got one more, a okay. Podbean message from Great Dane Mom, who said, wow, very interesting episode doing the research into Chinese culture, schooling, male-to-female ratio, current government push to procreate, and limit to abortion at Etc. In the lead up to this gruesome killer and the unfortunate victims whose stories we will never know due to the Chinese government's authoritarian actions that 45 is jealous of. Oh, so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> As always, love you and feel like you all would fit in with my family with your great sense of humor, compassion and calling out the BS. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Thank you. Mom. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, uh, Beth and I would like to say that we had a lovely Zoom call with our patrons this weekend. Yeah, we did. That was super fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We want to say thank you to everyone who made it out. It was absolutely glorious seeing your faces yeah. and hearing your voices. It's so one-sided here. So we got to, you know, interact. Talk was, to some actual yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, and get to know you all a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to Minnie, Paul, Tambor, Marlene, Gwyneth, and Captain Thank you all so much. You all get hip hop air horns. I did it the yeah. day of, but you deserve extra. 
Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, also, uh, we got some new patrons, Ms. Uh, mm-hmm. Gaddison and Hillary B. So here goes. Chicago inspired. I walked in the crib, got two kids, and Miss Gaddison is late. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> so I had to did what I had to did, cause I had the kid. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm up all night, getting my pod right, until the blue and whites. Po-po, po-po. Now the money coming slow, but at least Beth knows slow motion better than toe-oh. Oh, oh, oh. So uh, that is common and Kanye inspired. That was when we liked Kanye. So don't <laughs> hate on me for this, that one or this next one. Okay. Actually, this next one is Chance the Rapper. So <clears throat> okay. if one more label try to stop me, it's going to be some dread Hillary's in the lobby. <laughs> you don't want no problem. Want no problem. Hillary, you don't want no problem. Want no problem. Hillary, you don't. And that is that. So I hope you enjoyed those AKAs, Miss Gaddison and Hillary B. Thanks, y'all, yeah, for thank listening. You. So now we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. Hello, Fruit Loops Pod Squad. We are hoping to get some sponsors to help keep Fruit Loops going, but we want to make sure that any ads that we have on the show will resonate with our Fruit Loops Pod Squad. Please do us a huge favor and take a short survey. Visit www.podcastlistenersurvey.com. Be sure to let them know Fruit Loops sent you. Muchas gracias. All right, we are back. Who is our subject today, Beth? Today we're talking about Jakira Barnes, a girl from the neighborhood of Woodlawn in Chicago. Barnes had a reputation as a hitter or killer in a gang, and a gangster girl every bit as violent as the boys. Mm, so now we're going to get us some stats. <laughs> All right, Jakira Barnes, a.k.a. Kyra, a.k.a. K.I., a.k.a. Lil Snoop, was born on January 21st, 1997 in the south side of Chicago. She was infamous for killing 17 people. Some sources said 17. I saw one that said up to 20 by the time she was 17 years old. Uh, and she started her spree when she, not spree, her, I guess, killing career when she was like 13 or 14. Unfortunately, we do not know the names of all of her victims. Um, she was credited for the murders of O.D. Perry and rapper Blood Money, but we'll learn later um, that that may not necessarily be true. We don't really know. And on April 11, 2014, she was shot nine times and killed. So now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. The Woodlawn area in Chicago was settled in the 1850s by Dutch farmers that sold their produce to merchants in Chicago. It was a small rural area with scattered farms until 1889 when it was annexed into the city of Chicago and the area known as Woodlawn was born. The decision that nearby Jackson Park would host the World's Columbian Exposition or the Chicago World's Fair in 1893 brought 20,000 new residents and entrepreneurs into Woodlawn. The fair was meant to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Columbus's arrival to the Americas. I knew you would love that. I laugh because that <laughs> son of a bitch is a rapist, pillager, and uh, evil human being. Doesn't deserve any so credit. So let's have a huge fair. Yeah. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. 
<laughs> the enormous exhibition, which was located in Jackson Park on the Midway Plaisance on 630 acres in the neighborhoods of South Shore, Jackson Park Highlands, Hyde Park, and Woodlawn, ran for six months and attracted more than 27 million visitors to Chicago. It was the first World's Fair with an area for amusements that was separated from the exhibition halls. This area, developed by a young music promoter, Sol Bloom, concentrated on Midway Plaisance and introduced the term Midway to American English to describe the area of a carnival or fair where sideshows are located. You know where this is going, right? Sideshows, white people. We'll tell oh. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It included carnival rides, among them the original Ferris wheel, sometimes called the Chicago wheel, built to rival the Eiffel Tower, which had been built for the 1889 exposition Universelle in Paris. I was going to say Paris. <laughs> Paris. <laughs> Paris. <laughs> One attendee, George C. Talyu, later credited the sights he saw on the Chicago Midway for inspiring him to create America's first major amusement park, Steeplechase Park in Coney Island, New York. The fair featured many exhibits, including gas-powered motor car called the Daimler Quadricycle, the first moving walkway, the largest telescope at the time, a Liberty Bell made of fruit, ooh, <laughs> and a 1,500-pound statue of the Venus de Milo made of chocolate. Mm. Mm. It included an attraction called quote, a street in Cairo, unquote, which featured snake charmers, camel rides, and a scandalous dancer known as Little Egypt, oh boy. who introduced America to the suggestive version of the belly dance known as the Hoochie Coochie. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> to a tune now commonly associated with scenes involving snake charmers. Mm. The, the one that goes... Yeah, yeah. I just, I just think it's really, it's, it's problematic because it's, it's oh, again, it's, it's the, it's the white gaze. I have, um, <laughs> I have a friend who's actually a twerking technician. Oh so she, she, is, she is certified and has had training in a certified twerking. twerker. Seriously. Oh yeah. And she like teaches classes on the internet, but she's talked to me about like the history of, and I think this goes for any non-white culture, the way we dance and move our bodies seems pretty foreign to white, the white Western world, especially at this yeah. time. And so um, it's just a really gross way of displaying people's yeah customs and that's yes. why that's why I, it I, was yeah <laughs> agreed <laughs> also several products that are well known today were introduced these products included juicy fruit gum cream of wheat and paps blue ribbon those are delicious things i <laughs> i stand for some cream of wheat uh <laughs> Developers landscaped Jackson Park, created the Midway, expanded the elevated East Train or the L, which they constructed through um, black and brown neighborhoods to separate them from the whites. Anyway, and constructed large apartments and tourist hotels. Side note, this is also when H.H. H. Holmes, real name Herman Webster Mudgett, was active, sometimes called America's first serial killer. He was a con man who is believed to have killed somewhere between 20 and 200 people. In 1887, he built a two-story mixed-use building in the Chicago neighborhood of Englewood, about three miles from Jackson Park. I was just 
typing up in my phone. Was he before Clementine Barnabet? Yes. Okay. I don't think he was the first serial killer. I think he was the one that the first one that was notorious. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So he's he's sometimes called America's first serial killer, but he wasn't. Okay, there we go. Thank you. Send the record straight. OG of true crime comes through every time. So uh, later called the Murder Castle, which if you've heard about this place, horrific. The structure had retail space on the first floor and apartments on the second floor. During the 1893 World's Fair, Holmes opened up the building as a hotel for visitors. Unfortunately, some guests did not survive. Many of the victims were women who were seduced, swindled, and then killed. Holmes had a habit of getting engaged to women only for his, quote, fiancé to suddenly disappear Hmm. Other victims were lured there by the promise of a job. A book about homes by Eric Larson called The Devil in the White City was published in 2003, and it's being developed into a Hulu series starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, uh, if he does get the role, I hope it's better than The Aviator. Um, anyway, <laughs> you know, he plays these rich, these rich guys. Sometimes it's hit or miss like Wolf of yeah. Wall Street, DiCaprio. I didn't, Jeff's I kid. didn't watch that one. What? Why not? Yeah. I, I hate those kind of people. So I'm just like, uh, I do too. But no lie. If I had the opportunity to be a wolf on Wall Street, you best believe <laughs> I would take it. Snowing cocaine off somebody's butt. Hello. <laughs> That sounds glorious. The nickname nickname for the fair, the White City, was due to the color of the material used to cover the building's facades at the fairgrounds. Oh, you even got a little one of those C's underneath there, those little squigglies under the C's. Uh, But according to the University of Notre Dame history professor Gail Betterman, people of color were barred from the White City and were instead given access only to the Midway exhibit, which specialized in spectacles of barbarous races, authentic villages of Samoans, Egyptians, Dahomans uh, from Dahomey, an African kingdom, Turks, and other exotic peoples populated by actual imported, quote, natives, end quote. Yes. Yeah, they brought these people in and and they were displayed like a zoo. Yeah, all kinds of fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. In response, civil rights leaders Ida B. Wells, Frederick Douglass, Irvine Garland Penn, and Ferdinand Lee Barnett wrote and circulated a pamphlet at the exposition titled The Reason Why the Colored American is Not in the World's Columbian Exposition, which argued the exposition organizers had deliberately excluded African Americans from the white city in order to, quote, shame the Negro. And by only allowing black people to be featured in the midway, Wells and Douglas said, was in order to, quote, exhibit the Negro as a repulsive savage, unquote. Yeah, well, uh, give it up to old uh, Freddie Douglas for um, hitting the nail on the head. Also, shout out to Ida B. Wells, who's one of my favorite historical black female figures, um, because she was writing about 
the lynchings in America and the horrors, like the things they like put grease on somebody's legs and then set them on fire oh, or God. cut off their genitals and um, fingers. And, you know, there, there would be kids standing around uh, and she would write about all of it. And her life was threatened. I think her offices were set on fire and she just she kept was very brave writing the truth. Yeah. yeah. So shout out to Ida B. Wells. Um, Maybe I'm going to be her for Halloween this year. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, After the fair's closing, uh, by the way, I have to say another thing. I've talked about lynching in America in the past and how there's photographs, right? And people would take photos and send it off to family members as postcards. But those photographs, um, there used to be a theory in black America that the racists just have to die. They'll just die off. But there's kids in those lynching photos. And those kids are adults today, great-grandparents and grandparents who are passing yeah. along those disgusting ideas. So um, anyway, back to Fruit Loops. Sorry. After the fair's closing, economic depression threatened Woodlands Woodlawn's future. Local boosters promoted two commercial centers, the Washington Park subdivision with its amusement parks, racetrack, and beer gardens, and 63rd Street, where dozens of specialty shops attracted shoppers throughout the 1920s. Only certain kind of shoppers. The rest of Woodlawn <laughs> was residential. When betting was outlawed in 1905, uh, apartment houses replaced the racetrack in Washington Park. These apartments brought in the first black residents in this western part of Woodlawn, much to the objection of the white community, of course. Mm-hmm. Black people began coming in larger numbers during and after World War I. In 1928, a restrictive covenant was put into place to stop the growth of the Black population in West Woodlawn. The Great Depression then had a major effect on the community as several businesses along 63rd Street closed down and the local economy was not doing well. Landlords began breaking the covenant, allowing Black families to rent from them because they were willing to pay a much higher rate. Finally, a lawsuit decided in the Supreme Court in 1940 found the covenant in Valid, but did it stop? <laughs> <laughs> the 1940s saw more hard times in the community as many more 63rd Street businesses closed and were replaced with taverns. Due to the white flight in the 1950s, the neighborhood was on the verge of becoming majority black. The white youths in the neighborhood formed greaser gangs and they often attacked black youths. Black youths then formed their own gangs for protection. Woodlawn's newest residents were recent Southern migrants and refugees from redevelopment elsewhere in Chicago. Again, great migration. Uh, Many were angry at being displaced, and a lot of young men joined two new street gangs, the Blackstone Rangers and the Eastside Disciples. By 1960, Woodlawn had deteriorated with crowded housing and few commercial attractions to support a population that was by then 89% Black. Wow. The local, yeah. The local economy fell apart due to lack of support for the black community. Slum lords and absent landlords were a rampant problem as they left their buildings in a state of decay and charged higher rents than the living quarters were worth. Mm-mm-mm. Around the same time, Southside residents, local clergy, and businessmen formed what would be known as the Woodland Organization, or two. And it initiated a series of well-publicized protests against overcrowding in public schools, slum lords, and exploitative local merchants. They also worked with the gangs in the neighborhood to help them find legitimate jobs. 
But despite Tu's efforts and proposals for economic renewal programs, Woodlawn's economy did not recover. Most white business owners left the neighborhood. A rash of arsons destroyed 362 abandoned buildings between 1968 and 1971. Mm. Unemployment, poverty, and crime climbed. Gangs, drugs, and violence had an intense hold on the community in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. Those who could afford to moved out. Woodlawn's population declined from a high of 81,279 in 1960 to 27,086 in 2000. In 1930, Woodlawn was 87% white. In the year 2000, it was 95% black. In the wow. year 2000, <laughs> in the year 2000, Woodlawn remains one of the more violent neighborhoods in Chicago. The violence in the gangs has to do more with the effects of distressed communities. Policies by banks and the Chicago Housing Authority concentrated African-Americans into segregated neighborhoods and obstructed the movement of Black people into white neighborhoods. As always. Uh-huh. Yeah. A Great Cities Institute study found that in Chicago, nearly 40% of all Black males aged 20 to 24 were out of work and out of school, and nearly 90% of Black youths aged 16 to 19 are jobless. That is higher than in other major cities. If that number seems inflated, it's because not all 16, 17, and 18-year-olds are expected to work. But the average age for gang factions is 16 to 19, with some members as young as 13 or 14. In Chicago, Black males between 17 and 25 with prior arrest history are most likely to be murder victims and to be accused of murder. Mm. For decades, the solution was to put more police on the street to combat the problem. A more effective approach might be to redirect youth away from gangs and into jobs and movements for social justice. To reduce violence, Chicago should reinvest and rebuild communities, reduce joblessness and poverty, and increase opportunity for African-American youth. Chicago is considered to have the highest concentration of gangs in any other U.S. city, with over 100,000 active members and nearly 60 factions. That's a Yeah, it is. Gangs were responsible for 61% of the homicides in Chicago in 2011. That's a lot, too. Mm -hmm. Chicago has been given the nickname Chirac, which combines Chicago with Iraq and is used to refer to areas in the city with high rates of violence, likening them to a war zone. Uh, The term was first coined by Chicago rapper King Louie. And then I'm not sure if you've heard us say this, but the news is racist (laughs) and mischaracterized the complex human reality for Black people and Black communities in their reporting. Uh, There were claims made by some news outlets that more people were killed in Chicago than in Afghanistan, which later turned out to be a false report. Um, So now we are going to get into uh, Jakaira's early life. So hit it, Beth. Jakaira Barnes was born on January 21st, 1997 on Chicago's South Side. She was brought up by her mother, Chantel Brown. Barnes's father was shot to death by a rival gang on Easter Sunday in 1997 when she was less than 12 months old. 
Jakaira had four siblings, three brothers, and a sister. Uh, she grew up in Woodlawn, surrounded by gangs. The area that she lived in was uh, gangster disciples territory. Michelle Obama actually grew up in the same neighborhood. Facing off against them just streets over was the equally notorious Black Disciples. Jakaira had been a math protege and even attended a specially designated math and science school. She once wanted to be a social worker. A childhood friend described her as a tomboy, a little rough, but a sweetheart. But when she entered her freshman year of high school, she had some disciplinary issues. Gang violence was all around her. The next thing you know, according to her mother, she was arrested for shooting a gun and wound up going into the juvenile justice system. And she essentially never really was a full-time student again. Barnes's reputation then went from that of a shy, timid girl to a shooter, hitta or assassin, known to her rivals as somebody who liked to, quote, shoot first and ask questions later. And she became became notorious for killing. But to her mom, she was a girl who loved tacos and rice and watching the Disney Channel. Mm. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. True terrors of horror bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. 
Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. So now we're going to get into the timeline. The Woodlawn neighborhood was a dangerous place to exist for any kid. Uh, kids, we've said this before, kids don't necessarily join gangs because there's so much fun. It's uh, A lot of it has to do with the need for protection. It is believed that is why Jakira joined her gang. When she was in school, she wanted to be the best student. And as a gang member, she, in my opinion, wanted to be the best, most powerful gangster she could be. Gang violence is on the streets, but it's also on social media. In fact, social media is driving a lot of the violence in Chicago. Chakaira herself had almost 5,000 Twitter followers. And that at the time, that was a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gang members will follow rival gang members on Facebook and Twitter and threaten each other on social media. And they're not kidding around. Mm -hmm. They will post serious threats online that often result, unfortunately, in actual deaths. Yeah, I was surprised in doing the research. Like, they'll even emojis, which seem so, like, innocent and jovial, are serious threat. Yeah. At first, Jakira just attended gang parties. She was then lured into the life as she got protection and respect. According to Chicago writer Frank Maine, her friends started getting shot, and I think that she got sucked into gang life, and she realized that's where she's going to get respect and honor, and the warm fuzzies that other kids get from playing basketball or playing chess or something in high school. She fell in with a group of young men who called themselves the St. Lawrence Boys, or the Flyboy Gang which is an offshoot of the gangster disciples. Jakira became the gang's go-to hitter, which means killer or assassin. This is what I found really confusing about this case, is there's so many offshoots that you would need all of the string and all of the (laughs) index cards to like put it all together. Yeah. Uh, in January of 2011, when Jakira was 13, one of her best friends and a fellow gangster, 15-year-old Shondale Tuka Gregory, was shot and killed by gang rivals as he waited for a bus. Um, that is tragic. Adding yeah. insult to injury, the boy's killers taunted him on social media. A photo of the boy in his casket was photoshopped with toilet paper on it, and disrespectful words were written all over it. Barnes became enraged at this behavior, a practice that is called cyber banging. According to Desmond Upton Patton, an associate professor at Columbia University, cyber banging has its own distinctive language, which Patton describes as, quote, a combination of African-American vernacular English, social media speak, and brilliant uses of punctuation and numbers. Mm. An element of cyber banging includes sending tweets and messages with threatening words and emojis. It also includes drill rap videos with content meant to antagonize antagonize the ops or opposition. The cyber banging in this case escalated future retaliation and started a gang war. Yeah. And uh, drill up. I was like, what's that? It's um, it's a style of rap, um, again, as Beth said, to antagonize the ops, but it's specific to Chicago. Yeah. Um, 
So Barnes shared her grief on Twitter and soon was ready to retaliate. The Flyboys became the Tuca Gang and the surrounding area Tucaville. Barnes changed her Facebook name to Tucaville Kyra. Then on August 11th, 2011, 20-year-old Odell Perry, a member of the Black Disciples who was suspected of Tuca's murder, was himself murdered. Barnes was almost immediately linked to Perry's murder with online postings labeling her the Hitta. She was, I feel so weird saying Hitta. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, white lady, you're doing great. Yeah, labeling her the Hitta. Hitta, yeah. It's like uh, when... Uh, I, I don't know, like a term like wilding, right? It's spelled W-I-L-D-I-N-G, but but um, black people say wildin', right? You're wildin'. And yeah. when in the Central Park Five case happened in the in the late '80s, early '90s, people were like, "Teens are wilding. What is wilding?" Yeah. And you guys are saying it wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll anyway, say all the things wrong. So I apologize, everybody. I'm super white. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you nonetheless. In any case, uh, Jakira Barnes was only 14 years old at the time. That just really breaks your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Black Disciples memorialized OD by renaming their turf O-Block. While Barnes was never named a police suspect, one person tweeted, LOL, so Odie was killed by a girl, SMH, shaking my head. Other social media posts also implicated Barnes. And there is evidence on social media. There is a social media post of Perry with his gun. Barnes allegedly took that gun when she killed Perry, and she herself posed with that gun on social media shortly after Perry's death. Jakira's street cred exploded. She was known as a shooter and had a huge social media following. On Twitter, she bragged about the the bodies in her wake, and that she wasn't afraid to be violent. It gave her a giant reputation as a shooter, writer Frank Bain said. If you are a teenager in a gang in Chicago and you kill somebody, your status rockets. For females, if you want to keep that kind of respect, she was never going to stop. We talked about this when we covered the cocaine godmother, how a woman at the top of a male-dominated organization has to be the toughest, baddest bitch around to maintain her power. Yeah. In November 2011, Carlton Tutu Archer, 17, was shot and killed. He was found dead in an alley by a man walking his dog. Tutu's mother didn't believe that he was a member of any gang, only that he had friendships with gang members. And it's not uncommon for gangs to murder individuals just for their affiliations with known opposing gang members. And this was another loss felt deeply by Barnes. Tutu's funeral, a time for the dead to rest in peace, was marked by gunfire from rival gang members. That is just devastating like yeah the cycle continues yep um, keeps going yeah but the killing that had seemed to have the most profound effect on barnes was the murder of 13 year old 13 year old yeah. taekwon tyler barnes was a distant cousin of taekwon's but the two were close enough that barnes referred to taekwon as her little brother according to jakira's mother taekwon's mother is related to me through marriage so we've kind of raised our kids together once her family married my family. Taekwon's mother, Sandra Tyler, described him as loving and respectful. His cousin, Sherita Jones, described him as just a kid and a jokester who liked basketball. After seeing yet another neighborhood,
neighborhood kid get shot, Sandra sent 13-year-old Taekwon to live with a relative in East Moline, Illinois. But eight months later, while visiting Chicago for a summer vacation, on June 24th, 2012, he begged his mother to let him go to a party in the city's Woodlawn area with his 15 and 19-year-old sisters. Taekwon went to the party with his sisters, but when his mother came to pick them up, she found Taekwon lying on the sidewalk. A fight broke out and spilled out into the street. A car drove by and shot into the crowd. Tyler attempted to flee, but was struck in the chest. Barnes was also with him that night. Sandra Tyler later said, quote, I held him in my arms on the sidewalk and talked to him while he was fighting for his life. I regret letting him go to that party. He was my baby. He was later taken to the University of Chicago Medicine's Comer Children's Hospital and pronounced dead about two hours later. That's really that's, sad. Yeah, that's devastating. That's that's every that's your worst nightmare, right? Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. Ugh. Um, Jakira's friend who was with her that evening said she'd never seen the hardened gangster cry like that night. She also said that when Taekwon left, she left. Jakira took up the Twitter handle Taekwon Assassin in remembrance and wrote, Taekwon's supposed to be here with me. But instead, Lil Bro ended up six feet under a million miles away. With every tit-for-tat murder over turf, respect, or some other reason, Barnes became more violent. Her friends were being shot to death on the streets of the South Side, and there was no letting up, ever. It was a never-ending cycle. Yeah. Um, a Tuga associate named Joseph Lil Jojo Coleman recorded a song and video dissing the Black Disciples. In September 2012, Lil Jojo was shot to death as he rode on the back of a friend's bicycle shortly after tweeting his location. On Christmas Day 2012, 18-year-old Joshua J. Loud Davis was gunned down apparently because he was wearing a Lil Jojo hooded sweatshirt. Mm. His brother Ricky Davis told reporters that the murdered teen's hope had been to make it as a rapper and give his mother an easier life than raising five kids on her own man um yeah that that's just really devastating uh his he simply wanted to get rich for his mama the brother reported the brother also said it's all about the chicago music if people weren't making that music none of this would be happening in july 2013 the flyboy gang posted a video on youtube simply called murder with the main rap lyric my young niggas they're gonna murder and I'm comfortable saying that, even though I don't use it every day. Yeah, you you can say it. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm not going to. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to catch you slipping, Beth. Just kidding. Okay, no, I've, I've never, never said that word. Well, I, I, you don't I, have, I, you don't I, have to get into it. We've talked about it before. I mean, I've never, never. I might have said a sentence like that reading. Uh-huh. Maybe reading aloud uh Mark Twain. Oh yeah. <laughs> in school because yeah. I had to. Yeah. But uh, I had I to never too. never use that word. Never yeah. used it. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think we've said this in the past like we're not the N-word police. My black ass is certainly not the N-word police. It's not a word I use often, but if it's in a song, I'm definitely going to yeah. sing along. <laughs> 
Barnes was in the music video with the Flyboy Gang, becoming center focus during the rapper's line, K.I. My Young Killa. She is holding an automatic weapon, pointing it toward the camera as a bandana covers her face. Flyboys, the, the Flyboys, were attempting to get the attention of music producers and record labels who had recently taken a huge financial interest in drill rap, gritty street rap performed by people who were actually living their songs and not writing about quote-unquote thug life from a condo in Los Angeles. A popular Chicago drill rapper named King Vaughn, a member of the Black Disciples, has said that he actually liked Jakira and tried to start a relationship with her. But she told her family that she thought he was just setting her up to try to kill her. Chief Keith Cozart, a member of rival gang Black Disciples, the O-Block gang, had already been signed to Interscope, moving from the South Side to a mansion in the suburbs and recording songs that derided the Tuga clan. Jakira's reputation was growing on the streets and on social media, but the police were also paying attention. Sometime in February 2014, Officer Chris Mullet spotted Jakira on the streets and talked to her for about five minutes. He knew who she was, and she was in an area close to that of the rival gang, where presumably she could have been shot. He offered her a way out of that life and gave her his card, but she politely declined. On March 28, 2014, Rashawn Lil B. Shaw was killed by Chicago PD. Jakira was a friend of Lil B. She was devastated by the loss, so many losses uh, this young girl has had, and vocal about how upset she was on social media. Barnes named her Twitter page No Surrender Lil B, and she tweeted the pain unbearable. But eventually her tweets about her grief turned angry and vengeful. It wasn't long after that she wrote, Police took my homie. I dedicated my life to his revenge 100. On April 9th, the 30-year-old cousin of Chief Keefe, Mario Blood Money Hess, was found lying on a sidewalk with a gunshot wound to the chest. He was brought to a nearby hospital, but later died from his injuries. Blood Money, a.k.a. Big Glow, was a rapper from Chicago. He actually had Blood Money tattooed on his face, blood under one eye and money under the other, which is my dream. Uh, He was... (laughs) He, seriously, when when I make it, that is You're the gonna have first your face tattooed. place I am going. It's tattooing my face um, because by then it it just won't like it I doesn't matter. I, yeah, doesn't matter. I don't. We've talked about-, about this before, and that's yeah. what I. Th- that's exactly what I think when I see somebody with their their face tattooed. It's like I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> I know, but what a glorious place to be in, like mentally and spiritually. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but uh, not to say I'm not trying to like disparage the this guy or his death, but he was a member of the rap label Glory Boys Entertainment, aka GBE, aka Glow Gang. Blood Money, like most GBE members, was a member of the Black Disciples gang. Online postings named Barnes as the Hitta, and she posted on Twitter the next day, you nobody until somebody kill you. That's just real shit. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, Night Marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian Devil Worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. 
a camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. So now we're going to get into what would normally be an investigation, arrest, and a trial. But there was none of that here. Tell us more about that, Beth. The situation was accelerated when one of Chakaira's fellow gang members, Little J, Little J, (laughs) Little J, Little J, Little J, okay, posted a video of himself on April 10th bragging on Instagram. Little J taunted Blood Money's gang by posting a video of himself drinking a red beverage, singing Sip It On Blood Money. Mm, I could see how that could escalate things, but yeah, also, that would be offensive, yes, yes, but also in the black community, and this comes from Africa. Uh, during celebrations or times of like people getting together, um, red drink is part of the celebration, like a red a red Kool Aid or a red soda or hmm. something with like a red colored drink. Um, now, what what is that? What's the symbolism of that? I don't know. Don't know. Hmm. All right. Uh, I was gonna try to look it up, but. Uh, I don't have time. So anyway, don't <laughs> fact check me on that. It's just something I've heard throughout my decades on this earth as a black person. Okay. Um, on April 11th, 2014, Barnes left home to meet up with friends at a barbecue. Two hours later, a hooded trigger man approached Jakaira and shot her nine times in the chest, neck and jaw. Barnes crawled up the steps of a house nearby and a neighbor tried to stanch the bleeding with a towel. Barnes was pronounced dead at 543 at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. The two other individuals Barnes was with were also shot but survived their injuries. One of them was Jakaira's twin brother. Now, um, we got all the way through this story to this point before I found out that she had a twin brother. <laughs> <laughs> And, and seriously, I only found that out today. <laughs> really? So did, I yeah. only found it out today and put it in the script this morning. Yeah, that, and and I saw it. I was like, "What? What? And, yeah, yeah." It wasn't mentioned anywhere um, in, until like w- we had done a whole bunch of research. Yeah, and found this information. Her mother, Chantel Brown, who wept as she inspected the cemetery plot where Jakaira would be buried, said, at least I don't have to constantly worry about what's going to happen to her out on the street no more. Barnes is now buried near her father. 
Um, I just hate to say this, but what a um an odd sense of relief, you know, to yeah. no longer yeah. have to worry not about it. Not have to worry child, about it. Yeah. But but still not have yeah, to Yeah, that you. that sentence really resonated with me. Yeah, me too. At least 36 people were shot in Chicago that same weekend that Jakairo was killed. Uh, four of them fatally, with more than half of the shootings occurring over half a half-day period stretching into early Sunday. Chicago saw a 58% increase in homicides between 2014 and 2016. And since 2016, violence in the sh- city of Chicago has skyrocketed. Both the right and the left use the city as a pawn in the debate over gang violence, poverty, and policing. Some say the gang violence in Chicago is an epidemic. Some city leaders, including Superintendent Eddie Johnson of the Chicago Police Department, have suggested that social media posts like Jakira's might have contributed to the surge. Maybe, but what are you going to do about it? Uh, Jeffrey Lane of Rutgers University has identified a digital street code with informal rules about how these young people communicate with each other online. Expressions of grief compels rivals to reply with posts disrespecting the dead. And of course, the grieving and offended then feel obligated to strike back. But researchers at Columbia University in New York have been studying the Twitter behavior of more than 200 gang members in Chicago. Researchers say they have found an, at least one important trend in the tweets. The aggressive posts that draw so much attention are often preceded by something more like a cry for help or an expression of loss or grief. Quote, they are using Twitter to talk about their exposure to violence and they are using the social media platform to cope, end quote, said the study's lead author, Desmond Patton. The way this is spun in the media is there are all these violent comments happening. What I am seeing is people who initially are grieving and over time those comments become aggressive. The study's findings indicate that social workers or counselors should reach out to help those caught up in Chicago street violence when they express grief before they turn to expressions of anger that can lead to violence. Currently, according to Police Superintendent David Brown, there are over 117,000 gang members in Chicago, broken into 55 major gangs along with 747 factions and 2,500 sub sets. Yeah, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. There are hundreds of conflicts daily. Unfortunately, the violence continues and it's a constant cycle of pain and loss. COVID-19 has increased illness, stress, job loss, economic anxiety, protests, ongoing systemic oppression, and those things have contributed to crime and gang violence. The communities most affected by all those things are communities of color. At the local level, Mayor Lori Lightfoot unrolled a $750 million initiative to invest in South and West Side neighborhoods and launched a series of police reforms with a focus on strengthening a community policing initiative that began last year. Dozens of officers Dozens underwent training in community. (laughs) It's better than zero. (laughs) Dozens of officers underwent training in community engagement and, quote, district specific culture and history immersion, quote, to expand the city's neighborhood policing initiative into three new districts. And in 2015, a man named Nacion Flowers, 25, was convicted of the murder of Taekwon Tyler. He was sentenced to 55 years in prison. All right. Uh, so now we're going to get into our takeaways and what we think might have made Jakira snap. Um, I really think that this 
case start to finish is just sad and tragic all around, no matter how you slice it. Um, I do wish we knew more about the victims. Um, And growing up in the South side of Chicago, surrounded by constant loss, poverty, lack of opportunity, um, just made her and the survival of anybody um, in that situation a a real uphill, impossible battle. Your bootstraps are not going to get you out of this one. (laughs) Um, And some might say, well, Michelle Obama did it. Why couldn't she? And Michelle Obama is an exception to the rule. I think a lot of people do that when they say, well, I, you know, Oprah did it. Barack yeah. Obama did. Why can't you? Well, and- there's thousands of people who don't. Yes. Thousands. Yes. Yeah. Millions even. Yeah. And even though uh, Jakaira lost her father due to gang violence at a y- young age, she was at some point able to turn it around and was able to do really well in school. Yeah. Unfortunately, con- that constant barrage of loss of friends due to violence and the protection and clout that the gang provided her, I don't think there was any other option available or visible or imaginable um, yeah. for her. Um, if you look at her tweets, she was really vulnerable and grief stricken. I mean, I think PTSD has a lot to do with everybody in this story. Um, Jakaira is, I mean, I think suffering from PTSD from really young. Um, There was the police officer who offered her a way out. But again, at that point, she may not have even been able to see that as a viable option. Probably too late. Yeah, probably too late. So hard to see something if you don't have an example of it. So what do you think, Beth? Well, this is from an article on nature.com. And they said, quote, in a survey of young black people in Chicago, nearly half reported that they had witnessed a gang related killing. Such experiences are especially detrimental to the adolescent brain, which is still developing, says Karen Sheehan, a pediatric emergency room physician and professor at Lurie Children's Hospital and Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago. It affects the frontal lobe, she says, and diminishes the capacity to make good decisions. And the stress of grieving can exacerbate these deficiencies. Uh, Can I just, isn't that the same part of the brain that's affected in all these serial killers that we, you know, talk about throughout? Like brain injuries? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. 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 It's uh, uh, the frontal lobe is the one that um, is responsible for decision responsible for impulse control. Ah, yeah. Okay. So thank you. OG. (laughs) Jakaira was uh, just a kid growing up surrounded by poverty, gangs, murder, and loss. And uh, with, with all of that comes a, a ton of stress and, you know, she was surrounded by all these people who um, were getting respect from being in gangs. And um, yeah, like you said, I don't, I don't know that she had another option. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is why are there not more Jakaira Barneses? You know, I would, <laughs> well, I, I'm not, I'm not surprised is what I'm saying. I see. Yeah. I was going to say there's probably, there probably are. There probably are. Yeah. Lots but this, more. this case was unusual because she was a girl uh-huh. and uh, her age, she was so young mm-hmm. and um, you know, she, she was a hitter just yeah. like the boys, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 That is another interesting aspect. She was a female. Yeah. Yeah. 
so uh, now we are going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you hate 2020 and you don't want to die, <laughs> here's the tip for you. <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. Uh, so gang violence in Chicago has been labeled uh, by some as an epidemic, but not everyone lives listening lives in Chicago. Um, we learned through our research that it's can be dangerous for a kid to just walk across the street to go to the store. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real problem. And I don't think uh, I I think we should push for politicians to defund the police, but maybe um, rephrase it and say al- reallocate resources to those communities in the form of job opportunities, educational opportunities, and conflict resolution. Um, plus, there's a really interesting dynamic in this case about social media and the digital street code. All gang prevention programs that were designed um, that are being implemented didn't have social media in mind and have to quickly and drastically change their approach in order to combat this tit-for-tat retaliation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And um, I don't think we're going to get white people on board uh, the defunding the police if we don't change the name or change the term defund because white people already have proven themselves super scared of immigrants and black folks and brown folks in general. Mm -hmm. And when you say defund the police, they really start clutching their pearls. So (laughs) I think I think uh, everybody should put their thinking caps on and think of a, a new term. My my original thought was refund the police because it sounds good. Okay. <laughs> uh, but what you're doing is uh, changing who's being funded and allocating resources. So oh, well, that was my idea because it sounds similar. Well, but... you need to call up Joe Biden <laughs> and give him this information. Um, or, or maybe all the fruities can just start using it, refund the police. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my idea. Got a good ring to it. Um, <laughs> so since we don't have survival tips um, right. I, on how not to get murdered, let's talk about some self-care tips to get us through the rest of 2020. Do you have one in mind? Um, so I've been having a lot of this is not really, um, it has nothing to do with, uh, true crime or anything, but I've having, uh, probably a lot of the other people too. Um, I've been having a problem with, uh, emotional eating. Ooh. Okay. Okay. And so I was listening to a podcast over the weekend. They were talking about getting control over your emotional eating. And, um, what they, what they were saying was that, um, if you're emotional eating, it's because of stress. So that's Uh one thing, Uh but also there's something missing in your life, like just pleasure. Um, yeah, something pleasurable, which is true because, um, you know, we, we can't go out, we can't see our friends, we can't go to movies and, you know, do those little things that, that brought us pleasure. And so like, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have some chocolate that, gives me some pleasure for a little bit, you know? Yeah. So I think that's why I've been having 
issues with emotional eating. And so I'm trying to think of uh, something else I can do that will uh, give me a little joy. (laughs) Mm. Because I I do, I work all the time. You probably do too. Um, You know, we have our jobs, we have the podcast, you have your kids. Yeah. And yeah, we just work all the time. And I just need to find something I mean, this this uh, podcast gives me um, joy in some ways, but it's also a shit ton of work. So, yeah, yes, it is. Well, let me help you because I have three suggestions. Okay, the three M's: movement, and it doesn't always have to be like a hard workout. It could just be like standing up and walking around your house or walking outside real quick, like to the sidewalk and back inside, like just, just moving your body. I do enjoy joy though. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying if you need to start small, I, I do, um, like to do Zumba and (laughs) take my class someday. Um, and I do like to work out, but sometimes like, especially after that, um, Brianna Taylor and whatever, umpteen shooting we're talking about like it's it's really physically hard for me to move my body so um during those times I just need to just get up and walk around the house and sort of get get out of my body and out of my head and and move the other thing is music um I love podcasts but sometimes I have to turn them off and just listen to some good old-fashioned tunes right um and then um meditation it uh don't knock it till you try it. And I only meditate for a few minutes a day. So but that is, that is what, how I'm trying to take care of myself. Well, um, good for you. So yeah. if y'all listen and have any, how not to get murder tips or how to get through 2020 tips, self-care yeah. tips, get at us at uh, fruit loops pod. Um, so now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color, about people of color, any other individuals or any true crime goodies. And I am going to shout this one out. Thank you, Beth. You're um, welcome. <laughs> recently, you told me about The Clearing uh, and it is a true crime goodie. The podcast about April Balasio, the daughter of Edward Edwards. And when I typed this script, I was only one episode in, but I'm done. <laughs> I finished it. Uh, it is really, really good. Yeah. Uh, and just a real, it was fascinating, a nice right? Yeah. yeah. It was a really yeah. nice distraction. So yeah. what do you got? So this one is a distraction. Uh, I've I've not been able to watch much uh, serious stuff. I I have to watch like cute stuff, mm-hmm. funny stuff, mm-hmm. things like that. So, and I'm a sucker for period dramas and cozy mysteries. Oh. And there's one called Frankie Drake Mysteries that hits both. Okay. Plus, it's all about women. There are quite a few characters who are people of color. Whoa. It's yeah, it's set in 1920s Toronto. It's cute. It doesn't take itself too, too seriously. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just what I need to write out this pandemic. And uh, it's on PBS Masterpiece. Oh, 
Well, thank you. So that's what you. I've been watching lately. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, now, that's all for today, folks. Uh, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment even a dollar would help and as always we have merch for sale on our website that is all very true uh this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so until next time look alive y'all it's crazy out there Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com <laughs>